You're listening to Indie Live Radio, and this is a Pensioners for Independence podcast. It was recorded on the 3rd of November 2020 by the Edinburgh Pensioners for Indie Group. They have as their guest Colette Walker, founder of the Independence for Scotland Party. And we start immediately with Colette speaking, followed by questions and answers. Okay, hi everybody and uh, thank you for giving up your uh, Tuesday afternoon. Um, I don't know what it's like with you just at the present moment, but um, I've got blue sky in front of me, which is quite nice to see. Um, So hopefully I'll be able to go out for a walk in a wee while. Um, Okay, so today really um, is just an introduction to myself and um, ISP. But I think it's actually really important that um, people um, get to know me uh, as a person um i think it's very uh, very clear that a lot of people um don't actually get to know people um that are involved in politics and uh, get to know them um in a in a personal uh, basis um we, we are actually all human believe it or not and it is actually nice to get to know people um from the basically is what i say grassroots onwards and and I am a grassroots activist, um, fundamentally. So my my background, um, for those that don't know, I, I'm registered blind. I've always been visually impaired. Um, I've got a condition called um, aniridia. And for anybody that can remember their Latin or their Greek, it actually means lack of iris. So I was born without um, an iris. The, um, doesn't affect that part of it. Doesn't affect your your vision. It's actually the the cells that uh, that you are missing um, during the formation of your eyes um, that actually causes the the problems with um, your vision. So you have problems with um, short sightedness, glaucoma, ulcerations of the uh, cornea, um, a whole load of different things, and um, unfortunately. Um, I've had like my cataracts removed. I've had umpteen corneal transplants. I just had one three weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago today, actually. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it comes with its its challenges. But like everything else, I, I actually don't know any different. Um, so I don't take anything for granted, and I just take every day as it, as it comes. To be fair, um, unfortunately. Um, I have a son who's 19 and he inherited the condition and due to complications when he was about five years old, um, he unfortunately got acute glaucoma and uh, he got a major infection post-surgery, which then uh, severely affected his eye because it went right through to the optic nerve and uh, he spent a lot of time in hospital. Uh, lots of medication, and uh, unfortunately didn't get to save the eye. So he lost the eye, and uh, subsequently he is now totally blind. Um, He's lost one eye, and the other eye is now um, just not functioning at all. So he's totally blind. He's been attending the Royal School for the Blind for 10 years, and he just just finished there in June, uh, officially finished in June. So, um, yeah, so I think... When I was growing up, there wasn't the same equality rights, etc. Um, I went to a mainstream school, a lot of discrimination went on, but again, I didn't know any different. I was 
very quiet and shy and I just kind of tried to go on as best as I could and worked probably about three times harder than everybody else trying to progress with my, my studies, etc. And there wasn't the same equality that we've got now. And even just now, we're we're solely lacking in, in proper equality and accessibility rights. But I think really when it came down to me having uh, my son, Kieran, I really then noticed as um, a parent um, and a carer, and now legal guardian, but as a carer, and I was a lone parent as well. M my marriage ended um, when he was very young uh, through other situations, but I think fundamentally, um, my um, at the time having myself with a visual impairment um, and this issues that I was going through with my eyes and then having a disabled son as well, I don't think really um, helped matters. So I, I've been a lone parent for the past 16 years or something. So I think with having to basically fight for absolutely everything um, for my son, I think it was just a case of um, I learned that people needed to start to speak up and speak out for um, the most vulnerable in society, whether it's people with disabilities or whether it's um, people with long-term health conditions. And also speak out for those who are caring for those people as well, um, who maybe don't have the time, the energy, the confidence, etc. So I basically started on the route of... Um, being an activist and advocating for um, carers' rights, uh, disability rights, accessibility, etc. Um, and over the years, I've been in, uh, a member of Glasgow Disability Alliance, which I've just came out of a, meet a two-hour meeting with them this morning, and uh, Inclusion Scotland. Um, I'm also part of quite a few cross-party groups within Parliament to do with a whole range of um, topics, whether it's visual impairment right through to carers, uh, food, um, education and colleges. So I've, I've got quite a, a wide scope of interest because, again, all these things are interlinked. Um, if it doesn't work for one uh, set of uh, the community and society, then it, it doesn't work for everybody then, and, and that's total discrimination and it needs to be addressed. So I think it's very important that somebody with a, a disability um, or for, from any other of the minority groups uh, I hasten to add, have to have a place in, on these different panels and these different committees as well, because they, they then are the ones that are living every day with that uh, condition or, or whatever it might well be. Um, they have the life experience, and and that is a that's a vital tool. That's a that that's a vital asset to put uh, information and and opinions forward. So I've been part of the um, cross party groups for the past couple of years. Um, in two thousand and sixteen, um, the Scottish government set up what was called Access to Elected Office Fund, and that was basically set up to enable disabled people to get uh, more involved in politics um, and to hopefully encourage them to stand for elected office. Now, because of this stuff that I've been doing with um, Inclusion Scotland, who now are managing that fund for the Scottish Government, I was asked whether I wanted to take part and be, um, be part of the pilot scheme on that. Um, and at that time, we were leading up to the 2017 council 
local council elections. Um, I had quite a few meetings. I wasn't still too sure whether it was my place because, again, you, you still doubt yourself. You know, who would want to listen to me? As Where is my place in politics, etc.? So there was quite a lot of questions going around my head. Would people take me seriously? Um, you know, would I be strong enough to, you know, be in the political field? Um, so I didn't take up the offer initially. Um, but then when the the local elections um, took place, there was 39 um, disabled applicants that put themselves forward for election. And out of the 39, there was uh, 15 that got actually elected as local councillors throughout Scotland. Um, and what was quite nice was it was eight men and seven women. So it it was fairly equal in the, the sex um a section as well. So encouraging the 15 disabled people are now in local council positions. But when you think about the amount of councillors that are um, within Scotland, it's a very poor percentage. Um, so again, the, the representation there is, is lacking, solely lacking. So after I saw that, I thought, right, okay, people are actually listening to disabled activists and people chapping on the door, wanting, you know, asking for their vote, and uh, they're actually listening to what they have to put forward. So I joined Access to Elected Office Fund uh, just after the local elections, and I hadn't been part of a political party um, before that. I, I was... Quite quite a lot of the time, I, I, I obviously swamped by the SNP, and years ago it was Labour. My family were all Labour supporters, and at that time it was you kind of voted for what your family uh, voted for. But latterly, leading up, obviously after the NDRF and everything, it was more more SNP. But I had to look at like policies and and see where I felt more affiliated with, and and I felt that the SNP were a, a party that that I felt affiliated with regarding equality and uh, accessibility. So I joined my local branch and I got really involved in within the branch. Um, I was Women's and Equalities Officer for a couple of years. Um, I stood for a couple of internal elections uh, within the party at conference. Um, but again, I was uh, also... With that, I also joined Women for Independence. So I was on the national exec with them for the past couple of years. I have literally just um, resigned from them because um, I, I just don't have the time to commit uh, to that committee. So it, it's not fair for me to continue on that role. So, um, but my main focus is independence. And I feel that independence, um, an independent Scotland could actually be be the best thing for the most vulnerable in our society. Um, so, independence and equality are, are, are my main my main focuses. To be fair, um, so as I say, leading up to the end of last year, there was a, a whole load of issues, and I won't go into them. I won't bore you with them. There was quite a lot of issues within the SNP regarding myself and and policies that I didn't agree with and there was a lot of bullying and targeting that that was uh, getting taken place and I just didn't feel that um, 
I could stay there um, and I didn't I didn't feel I could give my my time and my energy to to a place that I didn't feel welcome and my opinion wasn't um, welcomed and my life experience wasn't taken seriously um, and trying to make positive changes within policy development um, in the Scottish government. So um, we had been talking, myself and a few others had been talking for a good few months, I think from about last June, July, talking about a regional list party, because next year is, a, I think, one of the most crucious, crucial uh, elections that we're going to have since devolution. Um, I think it's really important um, that we uh, use our vote properly. And so we've been doing a lot of discussion about regional lists. And um, then when I decided to leave the SNP, um, we myself and a couple of other people said, you know, well, why are we just talking about it? Why don't we do it? So we did. Um, so we started um, working out how to set up a political party and uh, we went along and done everything that we had to do. We submitted our application and uh, it got rejected the first time round because they didn't want, uh, they didn't like the name, they, they wouldn't accept the name. So when they say that, then you have to resubmit the whole the whole thing again. So we came up with um, Independence for Scotland Party and we resubmitted again and uh, we were approved in May, the 9th of May of this year. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's a, a total learning curve for, for us all. Um, you know, we're all grassroots activists. We're, you know, we're from, um, some are from, former political parties and some have uh, never been in a political party in their lives before, but they they feel that this is uh, a way forward and something that they can really contribute to, hopefully, um, fighting for um, NDRF. And, um, yeah, so we've been working hard over the past six months. Um, we've got um, our branches all up and running now. Uh, we've got different committees all set up who are working very hard doing... Uh, policy development, um, campaigning, uh, marketing, etc., uh, social media. So we've got all that set up. And um, now we're looking into the vetting process. So the vetting process is hopefully going to be starting um, very soon. Um, and again, we've got a lot of members that are wanting to be part of like the vetting panel, etc. So it's all very transparent. It's, it's, not, um, it's not going to be... Um, it's the members that are getting involved because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's them that are going to be voting for the candidates that are going to go forward in their region. So we have been working very hard. And um, as I say, we, we're a team. Um, and uh, yeah, so I didn't think for a minute, if you said to me this time last year that I'd be here today leading a political party, I, I, I really wouldn't have believed you. But Things happen, and I and I and I always believe things happen for a reason. And um, as I say, I really didn't think that um, one I'd be setting up a political party, but I certainly didn't think I would be doing one through a global pandemic. But you know, uh, we have our challenges, and uh, as I say, we are moving forward and getting you know going around different yes groups, etc., um, informing them about the party and the importance of a, a regional list. Uh, party and, and trying to educate people on um, 
the actual voting system because it's quite it's quite uh, surprising that after twenty years of devolution, that people actually don't understand the Scottish voting system either. And uh, and I'm not just talking about maybe people that are really not interested in politics, but then you know maybe get a wee bit more. Um, geared up leading up to an election and maybe watch the news a wee bit more or or whatever or maybe start talking to family and friends about who who do you think we should vote for etc and um, i'm talking about people that are very active in politics that still don't really understand the voting system um so our, our aim really is to try and make sure that people understand the voting system um so that they they can use their their voting to the best of the the best of their ability to to get the proper results that we really need in Holyrood next year. So yeah, I I will end it there so that we can maybe have a, a discussion because you'll be bored to tears with listening to me for too long. So I'll let people um you know have a discussion. Uh, I think that's the best way to go. Okay. Now Pippa has asked. Um, she says, in actual fact, I can understand you might have a chance. Uh, this is obvious in in your in your voting. If there are only one or two indie parties, but we're now up above five, I think, aren't we? So the chances of you being able to get five percent of a, of a regional list vote is uh, diminishing. I would say. Um, um, right. Okay. So the the regional list parties. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know about the five. Um, I don't know whether you're talking about solidarity and um, SSP. I don't know if, if that's who who we're referring to here. But um, we're a, a regional list party only. Um, the Greens run in both constituency and list. Um, now, with the again, as I said before with the voting system that we have. In 2016, there was, um, let me see, 900, just about 950 odd thousand votes for the SNP in the mm. regional list, and they gained four MSPs. Now, when you think at the highest peak of, um, for example, the SNP, at their highest peak, they had maybe, what, 120,000 members. So you're talking over 800,000 people who are not SNP members voted the SNP because they, um, they support independence. They might not necessarily be completely on board with all their policies. But then again, even, even as a member, even as a member of any, you know, the SNP or whatever, you, you, you're probably not going to agree with absolutely every single policy down to the, the fine wire. Um, but there was 800 and odd thousand people that voted SNP because they support independence. And independence is a movement. It's, it's, it's not just SNP, you know, and it, it's about Scotland becoming an independent and it's about the individual's wishes of an independent Scotland. So it's not all about SNP. But again, at that point in time, 2016, people then lent their vote to the SNP because they were the, they thought they were the main people to try and secure an independent Scotland. What we're saying is the Greens run in the constituency and the list. When I, when I think about the Greens, I think about environmental uh, issues. Um, we we are we are set up because we are wanting to fight 
for independent Scotland and we really want to get a, a proper majority next year in Holyrood of independent voting MSPs in Holyrood to, to make that that stance to show to show Scotland and show the rest of the UK and show the world that Scotland is wanting independence. But it doesn't have to be the SNP. We, we we don't always have to be in one political party. And when we say the you know for the you know um the UK government wants a, a an SNP majority, well what does that mean? Does that mean a majority government? Well by the polls going, it looks like they possibly will get a majority government next year. But that could be done just in the constituency seats alone. Mm-hmm. But what does a majority mean? Clarify the majority, because does it mean the majority as in a majority government? Or does it mean majority of SMP? Do you want a majority of SNP MSPs within the Scottish Parliament? Well, that actually doesn't make any difference. And that really... That's not diversity as far as I'm concerned. Other people should have their say. Um, So again, with the Scotland Act, if you have two-thirds majority, you can then have a snap election, a referendum that's totally above board and legal. We don't have to ask for permission. So if you think that if you could have a majority SNP government and then you could have ISP, MSPs in the regional list to make up up to the two-third majority of independent voting MSPs, we could make a huge difference to the way forward in actually securing a, a referendum or a snap election that could be an advisory publicity um, um, election. So at the end of the day, we have to clarify what they mean by majority, but I don't think really majority you know, one-party MSPs is the way forward. I think we, we need other people's voices out there as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a potential backlash coming against the SNP due to their perceived or current neglect of campaigning for independence? Okay, so I'm not going to comment on the SNP. I'm not here to. I'm not here to. I'm not here to speak okay. to the SNP at all. Um, I, I'm not there to do that. What I would say is, yes, they, they aren't. They aren't fighting, as far as I'm concerned, uh, they're not speaking up for um, an independent Scotland. Now, when you think about um, when you think about 2014, we've had six years. Now, I know COVID has came along. We did have Brexit before that. But I think Brexit was actually something that we, we could have really utilised because we could see what was coming ahead of us. We, you know, we, we made the fuss about how our voices weren't being heard. We weren't at the table. We completely ignored, etc. We should have been utilising all that. Um, and then with COVID coming on, now, again, what I said earlier on, I have been talking for years about inequality in social care, education, further education, you know, you name it. And all of a sudden COVID came along and what myself and other advocates and other organisations for those, it was almost like, oh, right, so you're actually listening to us now. It shouldn't have to be that we get to the actual point of destruction that they go, oh, right, I get what you mean now. They should be listening again. This is where grassroots come in. This is where people, the likes of myself and the people in my party who've got really good life experience, etc., that they know they know what's going on out there and they're wanting to make positive changes. Now, 
unfortunately, when it comes to things like, for example, la last year, um, there was the, I think last April at the, the conference, there was a resolution passed regarding currency. That hasn't been worked on. That, mm -hmm. that, there's nothing there's nothing been done about that. And it's something that ISP are looking into right now. Um, but that hasn't been worked on. That is something that it was passed at conference. Why has that not been moved on? Why has that not been looked at yet? You know, things like, um, like you know, the big issue, people keep talking about the border and different things. The SNP and the Scottish government are huge organisations. I know that we've had Brexit and we've had COVID now recently, but there's many other people out there that could be dealing with other other topics. Uh -huh. So yes, I know you know the first minister is is, is very busy, and you know um, she's been there, she's been visual every single day, and all respect for that. But she's got a huge team behind her. So these things should still have been worked on. Um, and again, they knew what the big topics were about currency and you know border and, and pensions, all the things that were the, the the scaremongering in 2014. These things should have been worked on. So yeah, I I don't feel that they've they've pushed the agendas so that we have clarification in the answers. I think more has been done. So again, like the likes of our policy committee, we are looking into, you know different ways and plan B's and, and what we are what we are wanting to put forward in the manifesto. That's great. Thanks very much. Uh, Isabel Gow uh, said, I totally understand why you're wanting to stand, but the regional vote is now uh, going to be so divided, just what the unionists want. Even if you get a few hundred votes, that will not get you a seat and may take or will take votes from the Greens. After India, there'll be plenty of opportunities for other parties. Okay, so the Greens at the present moment have six MSPs um, in the in the list. Now, again, with 2016, there was quite a lot of people that uh, would, if they understood the system, they would um, maybe vote the Greens in the list and lend them their their list vote. Wow. Now. I'm not going. To, I'm not going to go over this um, again. It's a it's something that a lot of people know about, but to do with certain policies that are going around just now uh, within uh, the SNP and the Greens, there's a lot of people that are not going to be wanting to lend um, the Greens their vote. Now, what you have to remember is if if you vote them in and then you realise that their opinions and their political viewpoint and the, their voting uh, values are not yours, but you voted that person in. Mm. You've got five years of that. So what I would say is this is why when we were setting up at the ISP, a lot of people kept saying, oh, you know, it has to be a, a, one, a one policy only. And I went, no, it can't be. It just can't be. People need to understand what they're voting for and who they're voting for and why they're voting for them. Yes, independence is the is the main thing because we're wanting to optimise the amount of independent MSPs in Parliament next year to make the stance that and make our voice voices heard throughout the UK and worldwide because we we need global recognition. We understand that, mm -hmm. but we have five years. 
So people have to know that what we're just going to sit back and say, sorry, uh, you're talking about education. We don't have a policy on that. We don't have a stance on that. So we're just going to sit here. Well, the electorate's not going to be very happy uh, us getting, a, you know, an MSP sitting there getting a salary. And only food, but I'm only going to discuss ind ind independence. Mm -hmm. You have to know that the, the people that you're voting in um, and what their what their values are and what their aims are. And we on with the, the ISP have got our policies up on our website. And as I say, we're working on the manifesto just now. Um, because you need to you need to know that people are going to be um represented. Now, for example, for the for the likes of myself who is very passionate about you know equality, accessibility and education, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, in, for example, in, in Parliament at the present moment, there's one there's one MSP who is um, who's declared as disabled. So that's one in 129. Now, in our population, there's 20 to 25 percent of society that is classed as disabled. So that is no representation whatsoever. So the policies that are going to be getting made by, for the likes of myself and my son and for the likes of anybody that's going into social care, etc., they are being made by people that are, are not living that life. So what I would say is... I don't. I don't agree that it's going to split the vote. It won't split the vote. The the Greens are there. That's fine. They always have been. But for as I said earlier on, eight hundred and odd thousand people voted SNP, and they did not get any more than four MSPs within the whole of Scotland. It was a wasted vote. What I would say is, if you don't understand the Dion system. Um, if you go onto our website, isp.scot, we have got a video that we just launched just over a week ago, and it tells you exactly how um, the voting system works. Because the more constituency seats that the one particular one particular party wins, it gives them less of a chance of winning any regional list. Now, for example, for Lothian. Uh, if predictions are right, if the polls are right, users looking to gain an extra couple of constituency seats ne uh, next year. Now, for that, then, it means you're looking at the SNP having to gain about 46% more regional list votes to even get one MSP. Mm. Whereas if if people then went to the likes of my party, the ISP, we could actually get a regional list with maybe possibly 14%. So you really have to look at how the constituency and the regional list works. And again, look at how the polls are going to, are showing that where the SNP are going to gain in constituency. Now, I know that the SNP, they say, I but look at 2011 when we won a majority government and they had constituency and regional. That that was that was a bit of a freaky election result because it wouldn't normally happen. But then in 2016, they gained constituency seats and they lost the majority of their regional list because of it. 
So that's why I'm saying you have to really know. So, but we're not splitting the vote. There's seven seats in each region to be get, to be gained, and mm. the, the the Greens have only got six at the present moment. So that there is scope there to have another independence party that is that is absolutely determined um, to fight for um, an independence referendum. I think the worry for a lot of us is that if there are four or five parties, well, there'll be more than four or five parties looking for the list, so Conservative, Labour, I know there are three or four at least various and parties just standing for independence like yourself. Now, as you say, the way the DeHaunt system works, it's percentages and divided and all the rest of it. So some of us feel the chances are that the next big numbers would be Conservative and Labour. So if all the independence-only parties were taking percentages, then the chances of Conservative and Labour getting in would be, if anything, higher. The reason why Labour and Conservative got in with quite a few votes is because of the amount of votes that went to SNP that went wasted in every single region. Every single region, you got um, Tories in with 20-odd percent, Labour 20-odd percent or whatever. Um, Because when you start the the rounds on the regional list, then the SNP are starting with a very low count. So, uh-huh. so that's why I'm saying we, all those votes went 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 to uh, waste um, in 2016. They could have been, you know, I mean, if if for example, if 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 the ISP were to get 30, 40 percent of um, SNP regional list votes we clearly could get at least one or two regional uh, candidates in each region, if, okay. if we could. Thanks. Thanks, Claire. I really appreciate that, that explanation. Thank you. Okay. Um, it's me again. Uh, Mariana Clyde has actually said, do you think you need to form, or, or is it something you would consider an electoral party with other list parties? No. So, no, that's fine. That's, that's that. answered. Pippa's gone on to say that... Um, being devil's advocate, if the Scottish Parliament was full PR, i.e., no first past the post constituency, and all set and all seats were proportionally represented, would the number of seats for each party be similar or not be similar to what we get now? So, is it fair to try and game the system? It's not gaming the system. I, I, I do know it, it's funny. I, I've not heard this type of debate um, up in, up until recently when, um, you know, as I said, the Greens have uh, stood in the list um, and they also stand in the constituency, but I've never heard of them trying to game the system or, or splitting the vote um, or any like SSP or solidarity. The, this issue hasn't ever really been addressed before Um which I find quite funny. Um, the situation with the, you know, the, the Deont system in the first past the post, it's quite hard to say how that how that would fall out if it was just one type of voting. Um, it would be interesting to see. But I think um, representational voting, I I think, is more of, more of a, a a democracy vote um, because then you're really you know it's not just um, it's not just the, the the biggest the biggest 
group or the you know uh, the, the most popular at the time i think people then would have to really look into um who they're voting for and and uh, as i say like policies and and the people that were involved within you know within the party um, so i think it actually be a more democratic a more democratic vote to be fair but again it would be you know as long as people understood how to vote properly because again a lot of people are quite naive on voting systems good um caroline and keith mcleod have, have asked is in your in your opinion is independence the best vehicle to achieve a fairer greener egalitarian society and reduce the capitalist control of our lives what more does the isb advocate that the green party does not already promote Okay. Well, um, yes. Well, as I said, as I said earlier on, I, um, as a, a grassroots activist um, and been an independence voting person for for many years, um, I feel that um, just an independent Scotland um, would be the best for um, the most vulnerable in society. The richer, the richer, are always going to be rich. Unfortunately, it's 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 just possibly the way of life um but i think we we really have to look at what the benefits are uh, for the for disabled and the most vulnerable people in society um and i think with everything that we've seen um the uk government doing um not only just to scotland but throughout the uk to the most vulnerable people in society and and it's you know it it's it's went right through to just last week regarding the school meals etc you know we, they've shown that they're not for um, equality and they're not there to boost people that have got challenges in life. Um, they, they, they don't want to make their lives a wee bit more um, easier, give them a bit more prospect. Um, I, was at a, I was at a meeting um, as I say, just before this, I was at a two-hour meeting with Glasgow Disability Alliance, and we were talking about um, employment. And uh, you know, there's still this huge because of reserve matters, etc., and you know, all the different things that we're kind of tied into. That sometimes we can't utilise the the devolved powers that we've got. For example, Glasgow City Council. Um, when you look at their employment for people with disabilities, now it's a huge organisation, they employ a whole load of people. There's only 2.7% of their employment workforce that are classed as disabled. And that really needs to get addressed because people then aren't being um, given the, the right opportunity to, to, um, to go out there and contribute to society and um, feel that they have self-worth. Now, regarding um, the Greens, now, as I said earlier on, uh, you, you've made my point when I when I talk about the Greens, I'm, you know, I think about environmental. Yes, we will be doing things to do with environment and land reform, etc. Um, but I can't give too much away because it's going to be in the manifesto. But we are we are working on it. I've actually got a policy development meeting tonight to see exactly where where we're up on uh, different uh, policies to do with land reform and uh, environmental. But what what I would say is one 
and again, this is something I brought up at the meeting today, and it's something that um, I actually had a question asked uh, on my behalf to Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister at FMQs, is about um, unemployment for the disabled and actually using the environmental new green deal to actually have, for example, apprenticeships for disabled school leavers and actually having an allocated apprenticeships um, which will be in conjunction with environmental green deals um, such as joinery, forestry, glazier for when we're having to build new environmentally friendly housing, um, whether it's schools, etc. So we have a workforce of people with a disability of one form or, or another who then will have a, a trade, a profession, a purpose in life. And if they do an apprenticeship, then it then will then hopefully lead them to a guaranteed job, whether it's part-time or full-time or whatever, how many hours they feel that they could contribute to society. And again, then there's the positive um, roll-on effect that they then contribute to society because they're going to be out and about, they're socialising, their mental health is better. So again, it's there, there's so much scope, but yes, I, I'm totally on board with, and again, I've done work with uh, Commonweal before. Uh, to, I was at the launch uh, a year, not, well, two years ago, I think it was now, actually, uh, to do with their, uh, no, it was last year, their uh, their new environmental green deal. And it was actually then that I brought up with, um, with them uh, yeah. to actually hopefully work in conjunction with their uh, policies to do with the, the green deal. Um, to actually utilise uh, that whole scheme, but then bring in people that are um, maybe not as academic or uh, or who have long-term health conditions, but could possibly contribute to um, something that could build a, a greener, more environmental Scotland. So, yeah, I, I'm very passionate about that. Um, but as I say, I, I'm not going to give too much away of what we're going to actually put into actual mm -hmm. policies. But that that just gives you an idea of that I have got, you know, you know, I, I do have a commitment there on on uh, on green and environmental issues. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Mike, Mike Wallace has just made a quick comment. He said that the PRA based, based system, which we've just spent time talking about, for the Scottish Parliament is working to give a fairly proportional representation of how people vote for different parties. I think we could all agree on that, and I hope we can. Um, don't treat that as a question. Um, and Marlene has has said, picking up on what Pippa said earlier, it's the list vote which brings about the proportional spread of seats at Holyrood. And although it's not perfectly proportional because of the regional system, it's pretty close to that. So. She says that splitting votes to ISP, like AFIs, uh, there may be a definite. There is a definite risk to keeping an SNP Green majority. We really want to see that happening as the votes come in. Um, okay, so just to clarify, AFI don't exist yet. Just just now, they um, they, they have. That's right. That's right. They were thrown away. They're, they're, they're <laughs> going to come back today. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know why everybody's talking about AFI at the present moment because it don't exist. Um, so yeah, okay. So 
I think when people talk, still continue talking about splitting the vote, they really have to understand, they really have to look at how the, the voting system works. And it's it's not a case of splitting any vote at all. There is a huge, and again, what I would say is only 55% of the population, of the voting population in Scotland went out and voted in 2016. We need to get people more involved in politics. And why are they not getting involved in politics? Why did they not bother voting? No, we're not asking people to go to the, the to the polling station. They can do it by postal vote. Why are people not voting? Do they not feel engaged? You know, and again, as I said earlier on, at the peak, you know, there was a, maybe about 120,000 SNP members, but 950,000 people voted for them in the list. So there's people out there that are not affiliated to a political party, but they're wanting independence. But why are they then the 45%? Why did they not vote? Do they not feel that they are uh, represented? Do they not feel that um, politics is working for them? That they're not being listened to? So there's a, there's a whole range of things there and there's a whole potential of people out there that we as grassroots could be saying, well, look, you know, we're here. We're, we're listening to what people are saying. We're living life experience people here. I, I, I'm one in, in particular. Um, and I want to put my life experience to good use to make positive changes. So we really need to try and get that stretch of people didn't vote we need them to to come in next year and vote um and we need to know why they're not voting but again just to just to lend somebody a vote i don't think that's the right you know that that's not that's not um that's not using your vote to the best potential and at the end of the day We've never used this tactical voting um, or game in the system. That That's not what it's there for. It's to vote and get the, the results that we actually need in our Scottish Parliament who are going to speak up for people of Scotland, for what the people of Scotland and the majority of people of Scotland, as the polls are saying now, are wanting an independent Scotland. So we need to have those voices inside Parliament to actually push through uh, policies and processes, and and get us that step closer. It's not it's not gaming the system. If you think about it, who actually set up the the voting system when the Holyrood Labour? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't It wasn't ISP. It was Labour. It was done when we got the evolution. So that system's always been with us, but we've never addressed it. Why has nobody addressed it then? If people don't like the voting system in Scotland, why has nobody put that forward to change our voting system in 20 years? But all of a sudden it's gaming the system because, because people are now more openly wanting to have more independent voting MSPs in Parliament. We're gaming the system now. It's never been said before in 20 years. We've always had this system and it was Labour that brought it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think if I if I can just say, I think uh, the reason that the Dehont system was brought in by the Labour Party because was because they never wanted to risk the SNP gaining control in Scotland. Yeah, that's exactly that is exactly why it was put in place. That's exactly why it was put in place, and you've you've said it in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, and un unfortunately, because momentum grew for independence. Um, the, I think people were starting to realise devolution 
really wasn't working and we wanted to be self-governed, then the momentum for the SNP grew. Um, and again, it grew because they were the main independence party at that time. And so people then had, you know, really didn't have much of a choice. People, and as I said, not everybody who votes SNP are members, but they lent them the vote. So let's not talk about tactical and, and gaming. It's the, it's the system that we have in place and it's always been there. Uh, we'll start with it at the moment. Absolutely. We'll start with it. Yes, of course we will. Okay, we've got we've got a comment from Tony Young, who says, "I suspect that a lot of the non-voters are not getting information about ISP yourselves, as they don't necessarily engage with politics, even at voting times." And I think I would I would endorse that comment. Um, so we'll have to hope that you get the chance to spread your message. Yeah, it's. Um Unfortunately, at the present time, um, and as I said, I didn't, you know, one, I didn't expect to be leading a political party, but, um, you know, I didn't expect to be doing it through a global pandemic. And uh, yes, it has its challenges. But at the present, at the present moment, we're, we're having to utilise every format that we've got via social media, getting yeah. contact the different yes groups etc and just trying to think out the box you know we, we've set up you know um you know we've got our website and um we we now setting up like our youtube channel etc etc so there's things in our marketing and our campaigning that is progressing you know we've only been here six months but we are gaining you know very very quickly and uh, we, there is more and more people getting to know about us and again yes you know we're in a kind of social media bubble at the present moment that's not my dog I hasten to add it's the next door's dog um so just in case you hear this daft dog going mad um but yeah unfortunately we're just having to maybe look at different ways to uh, up our profile but you know we are at, at present moment looking into doing different uh, different types of interviews, different media coverages. Um, so that's all been uh, looked at within our marketing team. So, yeah, we're on it. But, you know, it, it is challenging uh, to do with the times that we're in because, again, we can't go along to different groups in person, etc. So there's, um, there's challenges. But then again, I think, you know, I mean, every, you know, most political parties, etc., will be having the same type of challenges. Okay, they might be slightly more well-known than us, but, you know, it's just still getting your information out there is the challenge as well. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Caroline and Keith have come back, uh, and they've stated that, are you certain that ISP is not just duplicating the grassroots policies that are already advocated by existing um, progressive po uh, political parties, SSP, Greens, Rise, etc.? No, we've got our own. Um, SSP solidarity are of one leaning politically, quite yeah. far left. Um, we are more a centrist party. Um, we we are coming from, basically coming back to centre, uh, centre left, um, and uh, that's where I've always kind of had my my political viewpoint. Um, I think it's really important that we we look from foundations upwards and uh, we don't just go, oh, I think that's a really good idea. And just we have to have what we're doing at the present moment. Something very important to me is actually looking at um, like proven models and maybe adapting them to what the a Scottish society could utilise with them and again not every policy so say for example 
um, you know, uh, education, for example. Um, we are looking at um, different education policies and, and further education policies. And further education is a, a, a huge passion of mine, to, especially to do with um, additional needs um, school leavers. So, you know, we're looking at different models that of um, countries of around about our size, slightly bigger, slightly smaller, such as maybe Finland. Look at how they do their um, their education. And again, not every policy is perfect. So we would be looking at what actually really works as part of that policy and what could we then put in its place that maybe doesn't work so well. So there's a lot of research going on to try and see how different models work so that they're um, a proven model. It's not just something that, you know, your brain or we, we think because there's no evidence based there. And I think it's really important that the electorate knows that we've done our um, research. I have a last, I have a last comment from uh, Florence Sinclair here, who says that new parties have a very poor record of success. And as this is perhaps the most important election ever for Scotland, why do you feel this is the most appropriate time to launch a new party? Um, exactly that, because this is the 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 the, the most crucial um, election since devolution. Um, we really need to have the majority, and as I said earlier on, through the Scotland Act, we need two thirds majority of um, MSP to agree to a, a snap election um, or a referendum um, in, it, in its uh, legal state. So we really we need to ha optimise independent voting MSPs in Holyrood. And as I said, if you look at the polls, um, at the present moment, the SNP have got 59 constituency seats. There are 73 constituency seats to be had. So there's another 14 seats up for gain. Now, it looks like they could actually up up to about 69, 70, possibly 71, some of the polls have said, but say an average 69, 70. So they, they're actually going to gain maybe about 10, 11 constituency seats. Mm -hmm. Now, you need 65 to be a majority government because they just lost out in the majority government uh, with their 63 seats uh, in 2016. So they could actually gain the majority in the constituency but with gaining the 11 majority. Now, when you say that, when, when I say that now, for example, the South, the South um, is mainly dominated by unionist seats. So the MSPs, uh, SNP MSPs have three regional lists. Now, for the likes of Joan McAlpine, who's a list MSP in the South, she's going for her constituency seat next year. And I think she's got a really good chance of winning that. She's shown to be a formidable MSP who stands for what, you know, she stands up and she speaks out for what, what she um, she's passionate about. She speaks up for her constituents. So I think she's got a very, very good chance of, of winning that constituency. So that's one less M M MSP in the list. So if they gain two MSPs in the constituency in the South, which is predicted at least two, then they have a very little chance of even maybe even getting one MSP in the list because they only got the three in the, the, the list because they didn't gain in the constituency. Okay. So this this is a very that is why we set this up because it is crucial because of the polls showing that the SNP are possibly going to gain 
at least maybe another um, 10 seats, up to 69, 70 seats. They will then have a majority government. But as I say, as I said earlier on, is that is, you know, the, the UK government might then turn around and say, yeah, but you've just got a majority government, but that's not a majority in the seats because 69, you know, it's just like, well, you know, we want majority. Um, but there's no way with our voting system that you could have 69 constituency seats and then 50 regional list seats or 30. You know, that, that's never going to happen. That That's not the way it was devised. And that's what we said earlier on. Labour done that for that purpose, that not one party can be majority in both both sections. So, but what I will say, and this is, this is me being me, um, I decided to set up this party. This isn't an easy process. I didn't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to set up a political party. This is a really hard thing to do. It's not easy by any means. I've got a great amount of people around me. I've got a great team around me. They're really enthusiastic. They are passionate about independence. They're passionate about making um, positive changes in society. But what I would say is, for me personally, I'm giving it a damn good try. And that's all I can do. I, I can't regret something that I've tried my best at. And I've tried my best at a lot of things in life and, I, and I've battled through a lot of things in life. And this is just the next stage of my life. I will do my best. I will, I will work as hard as I possibly can to try and get MSPs elected from the ISP. I will give my members and my exec and all my committee members, anybody that's working on behalf of ISP, I'll give them as much support and encouragement as I possibly can do. But if if it doesn't work out, I've tried. I've tried my best. I've tried my best to get an independent Scotland. And that's all I can that's all I can do. I can only try my best. That's great. Thanks, Thank Colette, you. said with complete passion. Um, I myself have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and learned a couple of things along the way. Um, I have one question, nothing to do with the actual election that's coming up next week. So let's assume that the SNP do get a super-duper majority. They get their 70, they get 71. Will we then end up with a situation similar to what we have? in Westminster, where even if you do get some seats, because they'll have such a majority, you won't actually be able to push them in a direction that you think is the way they should go. Um, yeah, we've been asked that before, and that's not something we want. What we do want is to be able to have people there to actually speak up and, and call out you have to remember that you can put um, bills forward um, for voting. So, for example, we plan at the earliest possible stage. If nothing changes before the election, if nothing, like Nicholas talked about, saying something about around about the end of the year, about a date or a time or and what the question will be in the referendum. So we're still waiting to hear what, what that is, she said, at the end of the year. Um, but if nothing changes, if we if we haven't heard about a date for an indirect, um, you know, or whether they're going to use the election as a, a one policy 
whole election so that it's almost like a, a, a an advisory referendum anyway. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But we, if nothing changes, we plan to put a bill forward um, for the whole of Parliament to vote on. And it would be interesting to see if if, um, if they voted against us. But we, you know, we have we would be able to put a bill forward and get the, the Parliament to vote on that. Okay. Thanks. That's that, that's great, Colette. That's the end of our questions. You've been listening to Pensioners for Independence podcast. If you'd like to find out more about them, go to their website, pensionersforindependence.scot.